2 Timothy chapter 1, uh, verse 1, uh, says, Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ uh, by the will of God, according to the promise of life which is in Christ Jesus, to Timothy, a beloved son, grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus our Lord. Now, he's addressing this to Timothy. Now, if you know the New Testament, um, most of the books that you know Paul has written, they were addressed to like a congregation. You, know, you had Colossians, you had Philippians, you know Galatians, uh, uh, Ephesians. You know he was addressed to a congregation, and that's why these are referred to as the pastoral epistles because First and Second Timothy and Titus are the pastoral epistles, and he actually addresses it to a specific individual. So he's saying to Timothy, and he's a beloved son. And, you know if you know the relationship, if you read the scriptures, you know. Paul got Timothy at a young age. He met him in, the, in a village he was passing through and then and saw something in him, took him along, and has really trained him up, discipled him. And it's almost like a father-son relationship they have. He calls him a beloved son. You know, you, you see that picture uh, in the scripture there. And you get a standard greeting of grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father and, and Christ Jesus our Lord. Now, the setting of this is an interesting setting. Second Timothy, he's actually writing this from prison. You know, Philippians, he wrote from his first time in prison. Second Timothy, he's back in prison, <laughs> and it's a crazy time. The first time he was in prison, he had an expectation of getting out. You know, when you read Philippians, he was like, I'm probably going to get out. You know, it's looking like I'm going to get out of here. And he did. I mean, we believe he did. He got out, and he wrote uh, First Timothy. He wrote Titus during that time, did a little traveling. Um, but Nero's ruling the empire at this time, and Nero arrested him again and locked him up. And if you know anything about history, you know anything about Nero, um, you're not getting out of prison that time. You know, he, he, he instituted the Christian persecution. He's, he's known for Roman candles um, and all these crazy things that he did. He burned down half the city of Rome. Nero's really a, quite the character. Um, but Paul has no expectation of, of getting out this time. And uh, as tradition goes, he certainly didn't. Uh, he ended up being beheaded um, at the end of the second time in prison. So these are really his, kind of his last words, things that are really on his heart. He's really pouring them out to Timothy. And, you know, Timothy is a pastor of a Christian fellowship there, and he's actually encouraging him, and he's pouring his out to him, and he's saying, you know, my time is short, I'm going to be leaving, you're going to be, it's going to be you, and he's going to give him some advice and kind of encouragement here, uh, and that's really the setting that we have as far as uh, Second Timothy and what's going on, and it's not an easy time to be a pastor, it's not an easy time to be a Christian, it's not an easy time to be a believer, uh, very challenging at this time in the Roman Empire, uh, where it's almost pretty much illegal uh, to believe, you know, that's why Paul was arrested and, uh, you know, nothing new under the sun. We've seen that since then, 2,000 years since this has gone on. I mean, how many Christians have spent time in prison? How many Christians have suffered persecution? I mean, you turn on your TV now, and you got ISIS and all the craziness going on out there, and it's on live on, you know, YouTube and Facebook. It's craziness, you know. But it happens, nothing new under the sun, and we're going to get some advice on how to actually deal with that. So verse 3 says, I thank God whom I serve with a pure conscience, as my forefathers did, as without ceasing I remember you in my prayers night and day, greatly desiring to see you, being mindful of your tears, that I may be filled with joy, when I call to remembrance the genuine faith that is in you, uh, which dwelt first in your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice, and I am persuaded it is in you also. So Paul is desiring to see Timothy one more time. You know, and he's persuaded, and he's encouraging him here. He's like, look, I would love to see you again, at least one more time. You know, my time is short. I'd love to see you again. Uh, but he's also encouraged him here at the same time. He's saying, you know, that genuine faith that is in you. 
you know, he's persuaded that Timothy is a true believer, a true son in the faith, you know, and that's really where it can be, and that's really where it kind of is for us. I mean, we can only really be persuaded, you know, only God really knows, you know, who's going to heaven and who's going to hell. I mean, we're considered fruit inspectors, right? Jesus says you'll know them by their fruits, and that's what we look for, you know, but even then, at best, you just kind of get a good idea. You know, if you go through Galatians and you read the fruits of the Spirit, you're looking at love and joy and peace and long-suffering and kindness and goodness and faithfulness and gentleness and self-control. Uh, today we're really going to kind of look at long-suffering and faithfulness and self-control. Uh, but those are the fruits of the Spirit. You know, so when you meet someone and they say, hey, you know, I'm a brother, I'm a Christian, and you're like, oh, hey, I'm a Christian too. You know, and you know, first meet, so they're like, all right, great. You know, but it's over time. You know, things get revealed. You know, and you have this list of the fruits of the Spirit, and you kind of hold up their life to that fruit of the Spirit, and you kind of like, well, does that up? You know, are they really saved? You know, this is what Jesus says a Christian believer is to look like, and you have the fruits of the Spirit there, and then you kind of match the life up, and you're kind of like, ah, maybe, maybe not. You know, you're, Paul's basically saying, yeah, I'm persuaded. I've seen your life. I've seen the fruit. I've seen how you've lived. I've seen how you served. I've seen what you're even doing now. You're a pastor of a local church there. And he's like, I'm persuaded. There's a genuine faith there. There's even in your family. I see it in your family. And he's been persuaded. You know, and that's really where we can be. And you can do that. You know, you can look at the fruits of the life and you can say, wow, that is a believer. You know, they are doing well. And that's great to see. And praise God for that. You know, and that's essentially what he's saying. He's encouraging them. He's like, look, you are saved. You know, and then he goes on. He's like, not only are you saved, but you have the gifts. You know, he goes on in verse 6. He says, therefore, I remind you to stir up the gift of God, which is in you, through the laying on of my hands. For God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. And we all have gifts. I mean, that's what happens when you get saved. You're given gifts. You know, now there's the fruit of the spirit, which is really character development. That doesn't happen overnight. That takes some time. You're learning. You're growing. You're in the word. You're serving. It takes some time to develop those characteristics. Patience is a fruit of the Spirit. That doesn't happen overnight. <laughs> I certainly was not a patient man when I first got saved. It took some time for God to kind of beat that into me. You know, I'm a little more patient now. I can't really say I am a patient man, but I'm a little more patient than I was. <laughs> I'll say that. Uh, but it takes some time for characteristics to get developed. Uh, but gifts are given. And gifts are given immediately. You don't have to develop those. You don't have to work those up. You, know, you don't have to dance around and try to get yourself all worked up and work up a gift, you know. Gifts are, are given. They're instant. You know, the moment you get saved, you've been given a gift. It says in the scriptures, everybody's been given a gift, at least one, if not many. You know, and you can even ask for gifts. If you don't have certain gifts, you can even ask for gifts, and God can give you more. You know, and it's not just assigned gifts. We're not talking about speaking in tongues and healings and all those things. I mean, those are gifts of the Spirit, but there's other gifts. Gifts of teaching, gifts of helping, gifts of giving, you know, gifts of administration. You know, that's one people overlook all the time. You know, <laughs> what do you mean I got the gift of bookwork? That's a gift of the Spirit? Yeah. Faithfulness, being able to organize and get things you know, straightened out? Yeah. Gifts of administration. You know, there's lots of gifts. You know, you can go and you read through the scriptures, there's all kinds of gifts. I know Pastor Corey's going through Corinthians, and, and you'll be getting into the gifts of the Spirit. You'll be learning more on that, and it's a great study. Now, but we all have gifts, and we're all to stir them up, and we're all to use them for the glory of God. We're not to just to hide those things. We're not just kind of set them aside, well, you know, eh, I don't really want to do that, or I don't really want to develop that. You know, I mean, it's you know, we all have these gifts, and we should all use them. That's what he's encouraging Timothy to do right now. He's like, look, you're saved. I believe that. It's genuine. You have a gift. Go out there and use it. 
stir it up, you know, get, get, get going, you know, use that gift that God has, has given you, you know, and don't be afraid, he says, to use that gift. He said, God has not given us a spirit of fear, you know, and you got to remember the environment they're in where the Roman Empire is basically after them. Paul just got locked up. That's the Apostle Paul, you know, the, he, and he's in jail. I mean, imagine what Timothy's thinking. Wow, they got him. Well, who am I, you know? They're going to be coming after me pretty soon here, too. You know, so he's encouraging him in this environment. He's saying, don't be afraid. Don't fear. You know, God has not given you a spirit of fear. You know, you're saved. You have these gifts. Don't be afraid. Go out there and use them. Go out there and tell the truth. You know, share the gospel. You know, that's what we're here for. You know, he's like, don't be afraid to do that. And not only don't be afraid to do that, but we have the power to be able to do that. You know, and the power he's speaking of is the power of the Holy Spirit. You know, the, that second you know, in, in dwelling, you know, I mean, it's, you, you, when you're initially saved, you're indwelled by the Holy Spirit. But there's also something that we refer to as the baptism of the Holy Spirit, and that's really kind of that double portion, like we talked about in men's Bible study, you know, not too long ago, where, where yes, you're indwelled, but you can also be empowered, you know, that power of the Holy Spirit, you know, and you can ask for that, you can pray for that, and God can give you the power that you need in order to do what he's called you to do. You know, because there's some moments in life where you're just like, wow, I don't know how I'm going to get through this. I don't know what I can do, you know, God help me, God fill me, God use me, you know, and the best way I understand that one is really when you're not saved, you know, the Holy Spirit's around you, right, it says the ministry is always convicting you, the Holy Spirit's there, you know, when you were a non-believer and you did something wrong, you know, you kind of felt guilty or something, you know, I mean, that'd be like the Holy Spirit convicting you, you know, but then the moment you get saved, you get indwelled, the Holy Spirit indwells you, now you're an indwelled believer, it says in the scriptures you're sealed, you know, that the Holy Spirit is a guarantee of your, your life, you know, to come, the next life. You know, so you're indwelled, so you're indwelled by the Holy Spirit. But then there's also the, the baptism of the Holy Spirit, which you see on Pentecost, where they essentially get empowered, you know. So it's not only are they, is the Holy Spirit around you and now indwelling you, but then he's flowing through you. You know, he's using you, you're, you're empowered, and the Holy Spirit can move through you into other people's lives. You know, and that's really the power of the Holy Spirit, and that's what he's talking about. He's like, look, don't be afraid. You have the power of the Holy Spirit. You know, you're a saved man, and, and go out there and do what God has called you to do. And you can be able to do that because you have the power of the Holy Spirit and of love and of a sound mind. You know, and it's that agape love, that unconditional love. And the sound mind is, is really just being settled and knowing the truth, you know, knowing the word of God, knowing that good doctrine, you know, and having that Christian morality where you know right from wrong. You don't have to question it, you know. I mean, there's going to be a point in your life where you're maturing and you're growing and you're learning where a situation comes up. It's not even a question anymore. Should I do this or should I do that? You're like, yeah, I know exactly what to do. I know what's right. I know what's wrong. I have that Christian morality. I understand right from wrong. You know, and you have that peace and you have that sound mind, you know, which only comes from God. So he's encouraging him in these things. And he says in verse 8, therefore, you know, because of all these things, right, therefore, do not be ashamed of the testimony of our Lord and nor of me, his prisoner, but share with me in the sufferings for the gospel according to the power of God. And isn't that exactly what the world tries to do? Don't they try to shame you? Don't they try to shame us? Right? They have their own morality. I don't know if you realize that, but they have developed a world morality. Um, you know, you look into it, it doesn't take too long to look into it, but there's things going on out there that are really something else. Um, there's this individual named Richard Dawkins, I don't know if you've ever heard of him, but he's almost like their little leader out there in this new world order. And uh, he's very open about it. He cannot stand the God of the Bible. He cannot stand Christians. He wants to get rid of them as quick as he can. And they're developing their own morality. And he believes it's a better morality. He thinks he's got something better than anything that Jesus ever came up with. And they're developing it, they're creating it, and they think it's better. 
So every time you come to them, they have something to counteract it with. I don't know if you've noticed that. <laughs> That's pretty much how it goes. You know, you come to them, you'd be like, oh, yeah, you know, they'll come and share. You know, I, I got a drinking problem. you be like, oh, wow, you know, that, you know yeah, that, that is a sin. You should really confess that and change for that, you know. And they'd come alongside and say, no, no, no. Alcoholism is a disease. It's not a choice. You didn't choose to do that. It's a disease, you know. It's not a sin. You know, you're like, oh, well, you know, marriage is a man and a woman. And they'd be like, oh, no, no, no. It's actually whatever you want it to be. Loving, loving relationship, any loving relationship. It can be anything you want it to be, you know. Or what about this or what about that? Anything you come up with, they have this other counteraction. You know, there's this morality that they've come up with, this philosophy that they've created. And they almost try to shame you for believing what you believe. You know, we go out there and we stand for Jesus Christ. We stand on what he knows to be, or what we know to be right and wrong. And when you share it and when you tell people, you know, they try to shame you. Oh, how dare you believe that? This is what's true. Oh, how dare you say that? This is what's true over here. You know, and they almost try to shame you and they almost try to put you down and almost try to silence you in that way. You know, this is exactly what they were experiencing back then. We're experiencing it today as well. You know, you go out there and you share the truth. That's pretty much what you expect to come your way now. You know, oh, how dare you believe that? You know, like you're a horrible person. You, you hate her. You, you know, and all these things they'll just throw at you. And they got some pretty fancy terminology now, you know. I had to get out of my dictionary. I'm like, what are you calling me? I'm like, you know, what's a Xena what? You know, you're just like, this is, you know. But they sound sophisticated, don't they? They sound very high and mighty. And like they have some kind of moral high ground that they're standing on when they use these big words. But when you look them up, it's really silly stuff. <laughs> it's just like, it's just kind of crazy. But, but they do. They have this. They have their own morality. They have their own way of thinking. They have their own philosophy. And that's what we refer to as the world. And they're standing on that, and they think they're right. And here we are on the other side, and we're saying, no, there is one God. There is one way. There is one right and wrong. There is, there is black and white in some situations. I mean, there is right and wrong. You know, and you sit there, and you talk to them, and it goes back and forth like that. And that's essentially what they do. They try to shame you. And here's Paul encouraging Timothy, saying, don't be ashamed. Don't be ashamed of these things. Don't be ashamed of the testimony of our Lord. This is the gospel. Nor of me as prisoner. Don't be ashamed of your brothers and sisters in Christ who are out there serving the Lord and getting in trouble for it. You know? Don't be ashamed of them, right? He's a prisoner. You know, We're going to see later on that some of these guys out in Asia, they pretty much disowned Paul because he's in prison. They didn't want to be associated with him. They were scared. You know, He's saying, don't be ashamed of our testimony of our Lord. Don't be ashamed of me, his prisoner, but share with me. You know, share with me in the sufferings of the gospel according to the power of God. You know, and that's what he's calling us all to do. We're going to be sharing in those sufferings. Anybody that wants to live godly in this world will be persecuted, Jesus said. You will have to partake in those sufferings. That's just the way it is. In verse 9, he says, Who has saved us and called us with a holy calling. He's speaking of the Lord Jesus here. He says, Who has saved us and called us with a holy calling, not according to our works, but according to his own purpose and grace, which was given to us in Christ Jesus before time began, uh, but has now been revealed by the appearing of our Savior Jesus Christ, who has abolished death and brought life and immortality to light through the gospel, to which I was appointed a preacher, an apostle, and a teacher of the Gentiles. So you see, we're called. There is a calling for us. Like go back in verse 9 there. He saved us. He's called us with a holy calling. Every one of us has a calling on our lives. There's something that God has called us to do. You know, wherever you are, whatever you're doing, God has called you to something. He's given you a gift. He's given you a calling. He saved you for a purpose. God has a plan. That's what he's saying there. You look, 
Verse 9, who has saved us, called us with a holy calling, not according to our works, but according to his own purpose. He's got a plan. This thing's not out of control. <laughs> you know what I mean? Which is a great thought. You know, we're not on some giant rock out there in the middle of space just spinning around a big ball of burning fire and nobody's in charge. <laughs> There's someone in charge. His name is Jesus. His name is God. You know, he's in control of things. He's in control of everything. He created everything. And you can trust him in that. You can place your faith and trust in that. And there's a calling on your life. There's a calling on my life. And there's something that he has for all of us to do that fits within his plan. You know, what his plan is, none of us really know. You know, I mean, he, he sees the big thing. We just kind of see where we fit within that. We don't really know the big picture. We don't know what everyone's going through. What you're going through isn't what your neighbor's going through. What I'm going through isn't necessarily what you're going through. We all go through different things. We all experience different things. We all have different gifts. You know, but we can all rest in the fact that we are in the plan of God and that he is in control and that this thing isn't just chaos just out there and a big accident as some people try to teach us out there. You know, God is in control of these things. God knows what he's doing and there's a plan. There's a purpose. And it's not going to last forever. That's the other encouraging thing. You know, what's going on in the world right now is not going to last forever. God has a plan. He's going to bring it all to fruition. We just need to be willing to be a part of it, you know, and that's our place in it. And the great thing, too, is that just as he says there uh, in verse 10, you know, Jesus has abolished death. He brought life and immortality to light uh, through the gospel, you know, because that's what sin ultimately does. You know, when you, you had Adam and Eve in the garden, they're essentially immortal. And he said, when you do this, you're going to die. And he wasn't speaking of physical death because obviously they went on to live. Adam lived to be a thousand years old. You know, he's speaking of spiritual death. But the spiritual death eventually does bring around physical death. You know, I mean, that's what happened. If Adam did eventually die. You know, but sin is the problem. When you go and look at the world and you look at all the things going on in the world, sin is the problem. And one of the biggest problems of sin is death. Everybody dies. You know? I, I mean, we said it before. I mean, I'm sure you've heard me say it before if you're into, you know, statistics and things, you know. Ten out of ten people die. I mean, it's a 100% chance. There's a, you know, you're, you're, it's going to happen. And what happens after that? That's the big question, right? Jesus promises life and immortality and light through the gospel. You know, and, that, and that's the hope that we have. We have a future and a hope, you know? Um, and everybody thinks about that. I don't know if you realize that, but everyone has that same question. At some point in their life, they wonder about death. And they wonder about what's going to happen afterwards, you know? And they, they try to get off on tangents, you know, they kind of like get themselves wrapped up in things. Like if you're at work and you're talking with a coworker who's a non-believer, for example, let's say, they try to get you focused on like surfacey type issues, you know? Like what do you think about this political thing? Or what do you think about, you know, that or, or whatever, you know? And they, it's surfacey type stuff, you know, or even like a disease. What do you think about cancer? What do you think about AIDS, you know? You know, why did God do that or something? They'll bring up some questions like that. But, you know, AIDS isn't really the problem. It's the fact that people die from AIDS. That's the problem. So you get down to death. And then where does death come from? Oh, well, death comes from sin. You know, so you can always bring it back to that. And that's really what they're asking. You know, and everyone really ponders on that at some point. They always ask that question. You know, well, what about death? You know, what happens after I die? Where do people go? You know, or if they're really little, where, where does my dog go? You know, they ask questions like that, you know. They, you know, they kind of ponder this stuff, you know. And, uh, uh, you know, I try to have fun with that one. I mean, my son, we have a little beagle at home. I'm like, well, she'll be around maybe 10, 12 years. Well, you know. We can enjoy her while she's around, and then we'll get a new beagle. You know, or something, you know? I kind of try to avoid. I don't want to tell him Lucy won't be there in heaven. <laughs> you know, 
it probably crushes his little, little spirit, but I try to be wise on that. Uh, but even in my own life, I remember I asked the question about death for a while. You know, when I was a teenager, you know, that's really what led me into the sins that I got into. You know, the scriptures, I wasn't even aware of the scriptures. I was a non-believer. And, but the scripture talks about a way that people think out there when they're in the world. And it says they eat and they drink and they're merry for tomorrow they die. You know, and I, and I live that way. And I believe that philosophy. I didn't even know it, but I was doing it. And uh, realizing it now, I was like, wow, what a fool. But, you know, I live that way. You know, there was a time in my teenage years where I realized I'm going to die and I want to go have fun. I, there's things I haven't experienced and I want to go experience them. You know, and the world comes and tells you these are all these great things and you need to go experience them all. You know, fill your bucket list, right? That's what they say now. They didn't have that term back then, I don't think, but, you know, fill your bucket list, you know. And that's what I set out to do. And I pretty much did it. I filled my bucket list and then I realized it was empty. It's like my bucket was empty. I'm like, what's going on? You know, I did everything the world told me to do, everything they said would fulfill me, everything they said was great and fun and just exciting. And all it did was bring me pain and suffering and, and just tragedy. You know, and I started seeing my friends die. And you're just like, wow, this is not, not what they promised me. So I started questioning. I was like, well, you know, death led me into that sin and stuff. But then I started questioning the other way. I'm like, well, if I am going to die, what's this all about? You know, I'm not having fun here. Is there anything after this? You know? tried everything they told me to do and it ain't working out you know what's after this and that's what really led me to search for God that's really what led me off on that search and I was like what is this all about is there really a God why is things this way why are things going on this way you know and, and thank God for Jesus Christ and thank God for Christians because you know God brought some good good godly men into my life and they started answering my questions and I was like wow this is it sin sin has messed it all up sin is why people die but there's hope there's a future. I don't have to die and, and go to hell. I can die and go and live forever in heaven. And thank God for that. And I remember that moment when I found that out. And I remember that moment I first placed my trust in, trust in Jesus Christ. I was so excited. I could have ran like 10 laps you know, around the, you know, the track or something. I was just all, all energized. I was like, this is great. I was like, you know, from going from hopelessness and darkness to, wow, I have a future and a hope. And there's light and there's God and there's truth. You know, I was like, I got something to live for now, you know. To go from that to that is just the greatest thing ever. You know, and that's what he promises all of us. He's, look, he abolished death. He brought life, immortality to light through the gospel. You know, and that's the future, and that's the hope that we all have. And that's the hope that we can share. You know, I mean, just like Paul says, he's like, I was appointed a preacher, an apostle, and a teacher of the Gentiles. You know, that's what he was called to do. He's like, look, I have this message. You have this message. We need to go out there, and we need to share this. We need to go out there and tell them. You know, we have the answer to one of the biggest questions of all. You know, what happens after death? We can tell them. There is a future. You do live on forever. Yes, you, your soul is immortal, but your body's going to die. You know, but where your soul goes, whether it'll be in heaven or hell for eternity, there's a choice. You know, you can go to heaven if you want to go to heaven. You can go to hell if you want to go to hell, too. But you can go to heaven if you want to go to heaven. You know, there is a choice. There is a plan. There is a purpose. And Jesus Christ provided a way. He abolished death. He brought life through the light of the gospel. You know, and like he says, verse 12, for this reason, I suffer these things. Nevertheless, I'm not ashamed. I know whom I have believed and I'm persuaded that he's able to keep what I have committed to him until that day. You know, and going back to what we were talking about earlier, we don't need to be ashamed of that. We, we share the gospel in boldness. We share it in power. We share it in truth. Now, whether they receive it or not is up to them. But don't be ashamed and don't be afraid. Tell them the truth. Their life is on the line. They need to know it. 
and we're here to share it. So don't be afraid to do that. Even if you don't even do it perfectly. You know, there's no special way. Sometimes you see these TV evangelists and you're like, wow, I can't do that. Well, that's fine. You don't need to do that. <laughs> Just simply saying, hey, Jesus Christ is the Son of God. He paid the price for your sins, he took the punishment for your sins, and he resurrected on the third day, proving he's the Son of God, proving he has the power to forgive your sins, and proving that he has the power of life and he can resurrect you from the dead. Just simply share that. Those, th those three simple things. You just share that, you've shared the gospel. You don't even need to say it in any particular way or, you know, eyes glazing over and, you know, hand, you know, you don't even do anything like that. You can just simply share and just tell someone the truth and they can believe. You know, that's what it's about, it's just sharing those simple words. And it doesn't take a professional to do that. It doesn't take someone who went to seminary to be able to do that. You can be used by God to do that. I can be used by God to do that. And, you know, allow the Holy Spirit to lead you, you know. I mean, you don't want to get into conflicts for no reason. But allow the Holy Spirit to lead you in that. And you can simply share that and don't be afraid to do so. So verse 13, uh, we see a little more encouragement here of Timothy. He says, hold fast uh, the pattern of sound words which you have heard from me in faith and love which are in Christ Jesus. That good thing which was committed to you, keep by the Holy Spirit who dwells in us. So he's encouraging them to be faithful. He's encouraging them to hang in there, essentially. He's like, hold fast that pattern of sound words uh, which you have heard from me. You know? So he's encouraging his brother, you know, hang in there, hold on, you know, stay faithful. And then he's going to give some examples of some individuals who've been unfaithful. So he goes on verse 15, this you know, that all those in Asia have turned away from me among whom are Phagellus and uh, Hermogenes. We don't know anything about those individuals, but we just know they're in Asia and they turned away from Paul. Uh, the Lord grant mercy to the household of Onesiphorus, uh, for he often refreshed me and was not ashamed of my chain. Uh, but when he arrived in Rome, he sought me out very zealously and found me. The Lord grant to him that he may find mercy from the Lord in that day. And you know very well how many ways he ministered to me at Ephesus. Uh, so if you know anything about the Roman prisons at that time, they weren't like what we have now where you have a, you know, a, a nice bed and five hot meals, you know, or, or three hot meals. Was it three hots and a cot, something like that? Isn't that how they said? Yeah. You don't get that in, in Roman Empire days. <laughs> you know, you're thrown in a little cell and you're chained up in the darkness, and the only thing you get are basically what your friends bring to kind of help you out. Uh, so he sought them out to try to help them out and, and minister to them. So he's saying, you know, blessings upon that man, but he's saying watch out for Figelis and Hermogenes, basically. Uh, these are unfaithful men that turn their back on him, so he's kind of warning Timothy. Um, these are unfaithful guys. You know, watch out for them. And there's a time and place for that um, when you name names, but uh, Paul, obviously, this was the time to do it. Chapter 2, uh, we're going to see a little more uh, where, where he's going to encourage him here. He's going to keep encouraging Timothy, but he's also going to give him a plan here in chapter 2. You know, he doesn't just leave him hanging. He doesn't just say, okay, you're saved. You have these gifts. You know, don't be afraid. Go out there and use them. You know, don't be ashamed, you know, sharing my suffering. You know, he's, he's encouraging them. He's lifting them up. He's building them up. Tell them to go out there and do all these great things for God, you know, and, and, and hold fast and stand fast and be faithful, you know. He doesn't just build them up and just give them all these commands and tell them to go do these things and then not tell them how to do it. You know, he doesn't just leave them hanging. Like, okay, go figure it out. <laughs> you know, he's like, no. He's going to give him a plan. He's going to kind of outline some things. And we're going to see some three examples here. He's going to talk about a soldier. He's going to talk about an athlete. And he's also going to talk about a farmer. And we're going to get into that. But essentially, he starts out just kind of reminding him um, about faithfulness. He says, you, therefore, uh, my son, uh, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. And the things that you have 
heard from me among many witnesses, commit these to faithful men uh, who will be able to teach others also. Uh, so he's encouraging him again. He's like, you know, hang in there. Therefore, my son, be strong. You know, grace has in Jesus Christ. And he's saying, go find faithful men. He just pointed out some unfaithful men. He's saying, go find faithful men. He's like, find these faithful guys that you can commit these things to that can go on and teach others. And that's really what discipleship is. You know, and that's what we do. That's what the purpose of us getting together on Sunday mornings is to study the Word of God, is to teach the Word of God, is to build each other up, is to pray for each other, to break bread together, because we want to build each other up and we want to train us up so when we go out there, you know, we can be the light for Jesus. I mean, that's what it's about. You know, yeah, evangelism, yes, go out there and share the gospel, um, but the, the main reason we get together as brothers and sisters in Christ is to build up the body of Christ, is to learn and to grow and mature. You know, healthy sheep beget healthy sheep. And that's essentially what he's saying. Go out there and find faithful men, teach them, so that they can go on and in turn teach others. You know, and that's what discipleship is. And that's what we do on Sunday mornings, that we do on Bible studies throughout the week. Uh, we're going to midweek service soon as well. I mean, we study the word of God, we pray together, and that's what it's all about. And that's why we do it. Because it's great you're saved, but where do you go from there? I remember when I got saved, I knew nothing. I hadn't even read the Bible. All I knew was I was a sinner who needed salvation. <laughs> and I was very thankful I got saved. But if you ask me about, you know, end times or second coming or what sanctification or all these things meant, I was like, I have no idea. But it was thankful for faithful men and you know, pastors and teachers that taught me the word of God. You know, I went to the, the foundation classes. I went Sunday mornings. I went midweek. I went everything I could and learned and grew and, and understood more where God could use me in more ways. And that's how it works. That's what sanctification is, and that's what maturity comes from. So he gets into that. He's like, be faithful, find faithful men. Disciple men, I mean, just like Jesus said, you know, go therefore and make disciples of all the nations, baptize them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. I mean, that's what Jesus commanded us to do. Not only share the gospel so people can get saved, but go out and make disciples. Teach them the deeper things of Christ. And that's what it's about. Now, to live as Paul encourages us to, we must be prepared and have a, a certain kind of mindset. And he, like I said, he's going to go through these three examples. So verse 3, you therefore must endure hardship as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. No one engaged in warfare entangles himself with the affairs of his life, that he may please him who enlisted him as a soldier. Now, he uses a soldier as an example, and it's really an example of discipline. You know, I know there's many soldiers in here. I mean, I was in the military for a time myself as well, and uh, you certainly do endure hardships, <laughs> don't you? Right? You, can, you can raise your hand if you've endured hardships in the military. Right? Pretty much anyone in the military can raise your hand. All right. They're challenging times. You know, you go through basic training basically to try to weed you out. If you can't endure hardships, you know, you're not good for the military. So they try to weed you out through that basic training. I mean, there's things they put you through, and you have to be disciplined. You have to have a certain mindset, and you have to understand chains of authority and things like this. And that's what he's talking about. He's like, endure hardship. Uh, you know, and to live like Paul encourages, basically, we know we're going to be persecuted. Hard times are going to come, and we need to be able to endure that. And he also talks about being engaged in, in warfare. Verse 4 there, he says, No one engaged in warfare entangles himself with the affairs of this life. Now, whether you like it or not, you have been enlisted in the Lord's army. And whether you like it or not, there is a spiritual battle going on. I remember when I first got saved, <laughs> I didn't realize that. And, you know, but it came pretty quick. I was being accused of things Christian did all the way back to the Crusades. I was like, what are the Crusades? You know, I mean, people, I'd be trying to tell people about Jesus, and they'd be like, well, what about the Crusades? I'd be like, what are, what are you talking about? I wasn't there. You know, I was like, what, what are the Crusades? You know, but they try to, you know, they're not like us. You know, the world does not forgive and forget and all these things. The world holds on. They hang on. They don't forget, and they want revenge, you know. 
and it's, and it's crazy. But I remember I got saved, and all of a sudden I was getting blamed for all the sins of these crusaders and all these sins of these other people. I'm just like, what is this about? You know, but it's spiritual warfare. They just try to lump you in and try to bring all these accusations, and that's how it usually goes down. And he's saying, you know, get ready for that. There are going to be all kinds of hardships coming your way through work, through friends, through family, and just be ready for that. You know, you need to endure hardships just like a good soldier. You need to partake in this spiritual warfare. Don't hide from it. Just be prepared. That's why you study the word. That's why you understand the doctrines. That's why you go out there, and so you're prepared uh, when, the, when these hardships, you know, do come. You know, but we also have to fight God's way, you know, not our way. And one of the pieces of advice that he gives us how to fight this warfare is not to get entangled with the cares of this life. Because if you get bogged down with things of this life, that's going to restrict you, you know. You're going to be like, well, I got a five-year plan. I got a ten-year plan. I can't really tell that person about Jesus because I might get fired, and then that will mess up my whole plan and my retirement and all this stuff, you know. And it will bog you down and kind of restrict you, you know. I don't want to do, you know, what about my stock or what about this? Or, you know, and you're just like, get entangled. And it just restricts you and it just ties you down. And, you're just, and he's like, don't do that. You know, I love the saying I learned early on in my Christian walk is I have a light touch on this world. I have a very light touch. Yes, you need to eat. Yes, you need shelter. Yes, you need clothing. And Jesus says he'll provide it all for you. But don't go really beyond that. You know what I mean? And I'm not saying don't enjoy your life and don't go on vacation and things like this, but but don't get so wrapped up in things of this world that it just bogs you down and just entangles you and you're almost just restricted in the sense of your service of Jesus Christ. You know, and the way to find that out is if you do have things in the back of your mind. Every time God tells you to do something and in the back of your mind you're like, well, if I do that, I, I, this will happen, you kind of pull back. If you see yourself doing that, that's a good indication you're getting entangled. And you might need to cut some of these ties and cut some of these things off so you can be more free and move a little more freely within this world and not be so concerned about those things. And that's essentially what he's saying. And I did that when I was a soldier, you know, and when you got sent off to the war zone, you know, you got everything taken care of back here. You know, I made sure my will was done, I made sure all my stuff was locked up, and da-da-da-da-da. Everybody does that. Everyone in the military does that. And it's so you can go over there and just be free to serve and not have to be worried about what's going on with your family or be worried about what's going on with your possessions, you know? It cuts you free. So you're not entangled. It's kind of the same concept. In verse 5, he goes into the athlete. He says, and also if anyone competes in athletics, he's not crowned unless he competes according to the rules. So again, we've got to fight the way that God says to fight. And he says he sends us out like sheep among wolves. You know, we can't fight the way they fight. They're a bunch of wolves. We're sheep. Now, how do you do that? Well, you know, he outlines that in the scriptures as well. That's why we study the scriptures, verse by verse, chapter by chapter, so we get the whole counsel of God. You know, take, for example, the abortion fight. You know, we, we are out there. We stand for life. We stand for... You know, uh, there's life in the womb there, and we stand for that. But do we go off shooting abortion doctors? Do we blow up abortion clinics? No, we don't do that. We can't fight that way. I mean, we would lose the battle that way. I mean, we're sitting there saying, you know, killing's wrong, and then we go out and kill. You know, you can't fight that way. So what do we do? We, you know, we support CareNet. We go out there and we tell the truth. We go out there and support these ladies. We minister to those that have had abortions because there's even post-abortion ministry, you know, I mean, kind of works on your mind a little when you realize what you've done, you know, things like that, you know, so we do what we do, and we fight the way we fight, but you got to do it by the rules, you know, you can't just go out there and just swing away, you know, I mean, you have to be able to fight according to the rules, and just like he says in First uh, Corinthians 9, he says, do you not know that those who run in a race all run, but one receives the prize? 
Uh, run in such a way that you may obtain it, and everyone who competes for the prize is tempered in all things. Now they do it to obtain a perishable crown, uh, but we for an imperishable crown. Therefore I run thus, not with uncertainty, and thus I fight, not as one who beats the air, uh, but I discipline my body and bring it to subjection, lest when I preach to others, I myself should become disqualified. And that's Paul teaching in 1 Corinthians 9, verses 24 and 27. You know, because we are, we're out there fighting the world, we're fighting the devil, and it is a battle. You know, but he's looking at an athlete, you know, that disciplines and trains and, and understands the rules of the game, and, and that's how you have to fight the fight. That's how you have to compete, and then that's a certain way to do that. There's a right way and a wrong way to do that. And then verse 6, he gets into the farmer. He says, the hardworking farmer must be first to partake of the crops. Now, you can kind of inter interpret this two ways. The main thing is that he's a hard worker, you know. The soldier's disciplined. Uh, the athlete is focused. You know, the farmer is a, is a hard worker, you know. And you can kind of look at it in two ways. Because uh, he goes on, he says, uh, verse 7, Consider what I say, and may the Lord give you understanding in all things. So you're sitting there thinking it through, like, well, what about, what's a farmer got to do with things? And he's like, well, you know, farmer is a hard worker, yeah. You can kind of look at it as Paul from one pastor to another, where he's basically saying, you know, it's okay for a pastor to, to get a paycheck, and that is okay for a pastor to be supported by the fellowship. Uh, that's A-okay. There's other scriptures that support that. So that's one way of him kind of interpreting it, saying the hardworking farmer, like the pastor, must be first to partake of the crops, and that's okay. You know, but another way to take it for all of us, you know, as believers, is, yeah, we're all working in a field, you know, and uh, just as Pastor Coy is recently teaching in 1 Corinthians 3, you know, he saw, he says, uh, uh, 3, 6 through 9, Paul kind of sees the church as a, as a farm. He's like, I planted, Paul is watered, but God gave the increase. So then neither he who plants is anything, nor he who waters, but God who gives the increase. Now he who plants and he who waters are one, and each one will receive his own reward according to his own labor. You know, for we are God's fellow workers, you are God's field, and you are God's building. You know, so he kind of uses that same terminology and same understanding. That's how he kind of sees the church as like a farm, in a sense. One waters, you know, one plants, God gives the increase, and so on. So if we're all hardworking, if we're all out there in the field, and we're all doing what God's called us to do, we'll be able to partake in the first fruits. We'll be able to see the fruit of our labor, which is great. Kind of like we are talking earlier with the children's ministry. You're sitting there teaching these kids day after day, you know, the word of the God and the word of God. And then once you realize that they're getting it, you're like, wow, look at that. You know, if you weren't in there teaching or serving, you know, you wouldn't be able to partake in that. But if you are, if you're out there serving the Lord, if you're doing what God's called you to do, you get to see those fruits of the Spirit, and you're like, hey, this is great. You get to see those first fruits. You get to be a part of that. And it's a wonderful thing. So the soldier, like I said, the soldier's disciplined. You know, that's what he said. We need to be disciplined. The athlete's focused. You know, the athlete's just focused. He's understanding the rules of the game. He's understanding what God's called him to do, and he has to be able to fight the war in the way that God says to fight it, but also run the race in the way that God says to run it, you know, because he could get disqualified. You know, God could remove you and use somebody else. I mean, that does happen. Not that you would lose your salvation, but you'd simply be using somebody else. And then also the farmer, the hardworking farmer. You know, we're to work hard. We're not to be lazy. Laziness <coughs> is certainly condemned. You go and read Proverbs over and over. It talks about the lazy man and how not to be like the lazy man. Um, so working hard and seeing those first fruits is a great thing. So he kind of lays that out. You know, so he's coming to Timothy saying, you're saved, you have these gifts, go out there and use them, don't be afraid. But he's also saying, be ready for the hardships that are going to come your way. Be ready for the persecution that's going to come your way. And how you do that, be disciplined like a soldier, stay focused like an athlete, and be a hard worker like a farmer. You know, you'll be able to endure those hardships, be able to endure that persecution, and you'll be able to run that race like you want to win, and you'll be able to partake of those first fruits. You know, so he's encouraging Timothy in this sense, and he's saying, like verse 7 there, consider what I say. 
ask, may the Lord give you understanding in all things. You know, that's what we all need to do is kind of ponder on that, let that sink in, and just kind of really study that. Because the same things apply today. Soldiering back then is like soldiering now. Being an athlete back then is like being an athlete now. Farming is farming. You know, so you can really look at it and you can really think it through and be like, wow, yeah, how's this apply to my life? You know, and essentially that's, that's the message he's trying to get across to Timothy. So verse 8, he goes on, Remember that Jesus Christ of the seed of David was raised from the dead according to my gospel, for which I suffered trouble as an evildoer, even to the point of chains. But the word of God is not chained. Therefore I endure all things for the sake of the elect. And Paul was always thinking of others, just like Jesus, always thinking of others. Others are oriented. You know, I endure all things for the sake of the elect, that they also may obtain the salvation which is in Christ Jesus with eternal glory. And this is a faithful saying. For if we died with him, we shall also live with him. If we endure, we shall also reign with him. If we deny him, he also will deny us. If we are faithless, he remains faithful. He cannot deny himself. So if we died with him, we shall also live with him. That's just like baptism, right? When we get baptized, it's a physical, outward representation of what's taking place inside. We've died to ourselves. We've given up our rights to this world. And we're saying, I'm living for you now. It's <coughs> like you go under the water. It's like you're going under the ground, like you're dying. And then you come back up from the water, a new man. You're born again. You know, that's what baptism symbolizes. So if we die with him, we shall also live with him, just like Jesus. Died, resurrected. That's what that represents. And that's the truth. And if we endure, we shall also reign with him. And endurance does bring rewards. If we endure, if we persevere, if we serve the Lord faithfully, there are rewards. There is a crown. There is rewards for when we get to heaven. You know, so if we endure, we shall also reign with him. Now, if we deny him, which speaks of a non-believer, if a non-believer out there denies Jesus, they say, he is not the Son of God. He did not die for my sins. I'm a follower of Muhammad. I'm a follower of Buddha. I'm a follower of Joseph Smith. I'm a follower of whoever. You know, I deny Jesus. And don't be surprised when he denies you. I mean, he will. If you deny him, he will also deny us. And that's a fact. It's the truth. If we are faithless, now this one speaks of a believer. If we are faithless, right, the unfaithful man, you know, we were just talking about earlier. If we are faithless, he remains faithful. He cannot deny himself. So if you're saved, if you're indwelled by the Holy Spirit, if you're sealed by the Holy Spirit, if you truly place your faith and trust in him, believe in the heart, you've confessed with the lips, just like it says in Romans, and you're sealed. You can mess things up. You can choose not to serve him. You can choose to say, I don't want to be a part of this warfare out there. I don't want to be a part of that race. I don't want to be a hard-working farmer. I want to be a lazy man. You can do that. You know, that's what you consider being an unfaithful man. And... Christ says, well, if you're faithless, I'm going to remain faithful to you. Yeah, you're saved, you're a Christian, but you're not doing anything, you know, but that's not how salvation works. It's not by works. And we thank God for that. You know, salvation isn't by works. And some of us, maybe all of us probably know someone who expresses to be a faithful follower of Jesus Christ. They say they love Jesus. I, I want to do stuff for Jesus. But they don't really do anything. They're not really necessarily involved in habitual sin, but they're not really doing anything else for God either. They're just kind of floating around out there. But yeah, they, they love Jesus. They believe in Jesus. Okay, great. You know, and what Jesus says is the moment you got saved, his righteousness now is what he sees. So when you go to heaven, it's not our unrighteousness that he sees. It's Christ's righteousness that he sees, and that's what gains us entrance. So essentially that's what he's saying here. He's saying 
if you're faithless, he'll remain faithful because basically he sees you or he sees himself in you and he's not going to deny himself. That's what he's saying. You'll have an entrance into heaven even if you decide to be unfaithful to what he's called you to do. And verse 14, we'll end on these, these last few verses. He says, remind them of these things. And again, this is Paul talking to another pastor. So he's like, remind them of these things. Charging them before the Lord not to strive about words to no profit, to the ruin of the hearers. You know, we can do that, can't we? We can get caught up on things that just don't mean anything, you know? I remember when I first got saved, someone asked me, does Adam have a belly button? I was like, it's like what, what does that matter? You know, you just say, but they'll go on for hours whether Adam and Eve had belly buttons. And you're just like, this is, you know, maybe, <laughs> you know, can we go on now? You know, you're just like, don't strive about words to no profit. You know, it's just, just stuff that doesn't make any sense. But there's even other things in the scriptures where people argue about all the time, you know. It's like, you know, one, one I'm sure that's going to come up soon is, can you smoke marijuana, right? You got states out there that are legalizing this stuff now. And I'm sure there's going to be Christians. There might even be pastors. Hey, it's legal. I go have a glass of wine with dinner. Why can't I go home and smoke a joint? It's legal now, right? I'm sure these questions are going to come up. And they're going to sit and strive about that. I remember even before these states started passing this stuff, you know, they'd be like, well, it doesn't say specifically in there you can't smoke marijuana. It doesn't say specifically in there you can't do this or that, you know. And they sit there and argue and all this and stuff, you know, just like, well, why are we even going round and round on this, you know? It just gets crazy. But he's encouraging Timothy. He's like, don't, don't get wrapped up in this stuff. Don't strive about words to no profit, to the ruin of the hearers, and it certainly will. You got a new believer walking in, and you're sitting there arguing over whether you can get stoned or not. I mean, it's just, you're just going to ruin that, that new believer. They're going to be like, what's this about? You know, why are they arguing over this? Shouldn't they be focusing on other things? And the answer is, yeah, <laughs> they shouldn't be stuck on that stuff. And be diligent to present yourself approved to God, a worker who does not need to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. And that's why we do what we do here at Calvary Chapel. We study verse by verse, chapter by chapter, book by book, so we all get the whole counsel of God. We get everything, Genesis to Revelation. We hit all the hard topics, whether we like to or not. <laughs> we go through it all. And you can rightly divide the word, and God will be able to give you the wisdom that you need in that moment in time to be a diligent uh, to be diligent to present yourself approved to God, a worker does not need to be ashamed. Rightly dividing the word of truth, but shun profane and idle babblings, for they will increase to more ungodliness. And their message will spread like cancer. You know, and it certainly does. You know, I mean, even one thing I remember was Calvinism. When I first got saved, I met a guy who got saved around the same time I did. You know, and I started going to Calvary Chapel. He started going to this other fellowship, and they were big on Calvinism. And every time I met the guy, all he wanted to do was convince me of Calvinism. I mean, he would just argue, and he would just fight, and it was just these babblings, you know, and it's just like, you know, what are we even arguing over this for? I'm saved, you're saved, <laughs> you know, you know, God's free will, man's, you know, or, you know, God's sovereignty, man's free will, you know, where do they meet and all this stuff. I get the, I get the conversation, you know, but, you know, he was just stuck on that, and pretty soon he just disappeared. You know, like, well, what happened to so-and-so? Like, I don't know. He's got angry and is like stormed off. He's like, all right. You know, but these kind of things, you know, you can just go round and around and it's just idle babblings and just this stuff that just doesn't make sense. He's like, we need to focus on the things that matter. You know, major, uh, how's that saying go? Major in the majors, you know, or, uh, or don't major in the minors. You know, don't, don't, don't get wrapped up in these things that don't, aren't that big of a deal. Don't major in the minors. But keep your priorities right. You know, stay focused. 
And that's basically what he's trying to get across. Because otherwise it'll spread like cancer. And like we all know, you know, cancer just kills. And Hermanius and Philetus are of this sort, who have strayed concerning the truth, saying that the resurrection is already passed and they overthrow the faith of some. Nevertheless, the solid foundation of God stands, having this seal. The Lord knows those who are his. Remember, we don't know who's going to heaven. We don't know who's going to hell. We can't say that to anybody. You can't point someone out and say, you're going to hell because you did that. No, you don't know. They might get saved later on. You know, only God knows. That's essentially what he's reaffirming here. The Lord knows who are his. And then let everyone who names the name of Christ apart from iniquity. But iniquity is another way of saying sin. So if you're a professing believer, if you're confessing Christ, and you're saying you're following Jesus, then you should be getting away from sin as far as you can. Get away from iniquity, get the sin out of your life, and, uh, and take part in that process of sanctification that God has called us all to. It's that cleansing, that, that renewing of your mind, and that process where he builds that godly character in you, know, the fruits of the Spirit. That's what the Christian life is about. God working on you, refining your character, building those fruits of the Spirit in you. And that is a daily walk. That takes time. Uh, but thank God that he is willing to take that time and shape us and change us. Because I don't know about you, but I hate sin. And I hate sinning. You know, you hurt people in your family, you hurt your friends, you know, you don't want to do it. You know, you, but it does it. You, you do it. You say things, you do things, you're just like, ah, oh, why did I do that again? You know, I'm tired of this. You know, <laughs> it is. It gets tiring. You're just like, man, over and over. You know, I wish I would learn. I wish I would change. You know, you just pray, God, help me, change me. You know, and he will. He's faithful to do that, but sometimes it takes a little time. So turn, turn to Hebrews real quick, and we'll end on this. I know I'm about out of time here. So turn to Hebrews chapter 12. We'll just read this scripture. We'll end on this scripture. Let's go over to the, the right there a little bit. Hebrews chapter 12. We'll just read the first couple of verses, and we'll end on these. You know, because, you know, just like we've been studying. So this is what we've been looking at in the scriptures this morning. Is Paul, the apostle Paul is encouraging Timothy, a young pastor. And he's telling him, you know, be faithful. Be a faithful servant of Jesus. Stay focused on him, right? Endure the hardships. Like a good soldier, be disciplined. Like a good athlete, stay focused on him. Understand the rules of the game. You know, like a good farmer, be a hard worker. Don't be lazy. You know, be attentive to what God has called you to do. And don't be afraid. You know, and he, and, he, and he puts that out there. He's encouraging young Timothy because he knows his time is short. He's going to be leaving this world. He's going to go to heaven to be with his Lord soon, and Timothy's going to be here. You know, so he's trying to encourage him. He's trying to build him up, and then he gives him that plan, that understanding of this is how you do it. He doesn't just leave him hanging. So uh, Hebrews as well, uh, Hebrews chapter 11. I'm sorry, Hebrews chapter 12, uh, verse 1. We'll just read these, and then we'll end on this. So... Therefore, uh, we also, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which so easily ensnares us, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God.